haven't met, my name is Shane. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Mountain View Fellowship. And if you've only been coming for a few weeks, the way this works is we are uh, one church with a couple different campuses. We have one in Heber and one here in Camas. And Mike is the campus pastor here in Camas, and I'm the pastor down in Heber. However, as far as the teaching goes, we rotate that and we, we kind of mix it up a little bit, as well as worship and the different areas uh, with those uh, kinds of ministries. So um, so if you're coming uh, weekly, you'll, you'll hear uh, Mike, you'll hear me, and then also um, we're, we have a new pastor on staff as our youth and worship pastor, and that's Josh Boyer, and I'm excited because he's going to actually be preaching uh, here for the first time next week, and so uh, Josh, if you haven't met him, he's a real outgoing person um, and has just a real, um, just exciting personality, um, so uh, you, you, you want to be here because the first time preachers preach, especially when they have his personality, he's going to say something really stupid. And you're going to want to be here to hear him say that, because then you can mock him for the rest of his life about that thing he said. So, uh, you know, you're gonna, he'll, he'll, I'm sure his message will be great, but he'll, he'll get one thing where he'll just say it way off. So um, that, that's exciting. So <laughs> I wish I was going to be here. I will definitely listen to the recording uh, so I can, I can tease him, but um, also so I can evaluate him. But um, hey, so we are in the middle of a series, a four-week series entitled running the race and in that what we're doing is we're looking at the vision of the church and how it applies to each of us as individuals in our faith and and really the vision of the church is to help us each grow as individuals but also as the church as we are the body of Christ together so we're looking at that in the first week we talked about preparing for the race getting ourselves ready by setting our priorities you know the the priorities in our life oftentimes don't reflect that we are people wanting to grow in our faith. You know, our, oftentimes our priorities kind of look very off of what God's priorities are. So we talked about setting those and keeping our, our eyes focused on Jesus and, and remembering the prize that we, we seek is the prize of eternity with Christ. It's not something that fades, much like many of the prizes and trophies and stuff that we seek after in this world. And then last week, we talked about connecting, connecting to the body of Christ. That how important it is to not try to run this race by ourselves. And how sometimes, a lot of times, people see, they're, I'm so mature, they kind of feel like their maturity level has reached a point where they don't need to be a part of the church. And I constantly am showing people that that's the exact opposite. The, the maturity in Christ, one of the ways we, we mark that is our ability to be a part of the body of Christ, the ability to work together with people to overcome difficulties, to, to learn to forgive one another and, and work through those things. This week we're talking about coaching. Uh, you know, any race, anything you do well, chances are you've had a coach, especially if it's something you've pushed yourself to achieve more than you ever thought you could achieve. Um, coaches are great for that. And, and so we're going to talk about how does coaching fit into the church and Really, we're using coaching kind of as a modern-day word for shepherding. Um, you know, shepherding is used all throughout the Bible, um, and, and coaching kind of falls short, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but you know, if you just say, hey, you know, I want to I shepherd you, you go up to someone and say, I want to shepherd you, they're, they're probably going to look at you like, you know, you're a little weird because I, I'm, I'm not a sheep, and, and I don't even know what a shepherd does. So um, 
But, but coaching is something, it's a concept we understand and grasp. So we use that as the word to kind of get that point across. So we're going to get into that this week. And then next week, we're kind of going to get off the topic for just a week, and then we'll jump back in on the 12th. So having said that, let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll jump into this morning's message. <clears throat> Father God, I just want to thank you um, for this opportunity to just to share uh, this morning, to to really examine your word and, and what you have to say for us about what it means to grow in our, our walk with you and, and how we do that, um, how we help each other do that, um, how we work together as the body of Christ. So give us the strength, Lord, and to have open hearts and open ears and open minds as we go through this this morning. And may you reveal yourself through your spirit in your name. Amen. Um, I just realized, um, for those of you, I, I want to introduce my family. The last time I was here, they, they were not here. So I know, you guys, they're looking at me like, don't do this, Dad. Um, would you three just stand up real quick? This is my wife, Tanya, and my da- two older daughters, Rachel and Hannah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, um, <laughs> and then I have two younger daughters over in the children's area as well. And then I also have a son who's in the Navy, and he's married, he's stationed in, he's really uh, sacrificing for his country in Hawaii right now. Um, so, um, but anyway, uh, so I've got, got that's my, my brood, and so hopefully you'll get a chance to get to know all of them. And then my second thing, I just realized, there's no, I, I have one here, but there's no clock in here. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, you want to get a clock in here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're like, if you like, you have no other role. Your role is just buy a clock and, and put it up. You know, right in front so Mike can see it. Because uh, pastors without clocks are dangerous things. We have one. We just gotta hang it. Okay. Well, hang it. Okay. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I have this. I can, but my eyes are so bad, I'm not going to be able to see it. All right. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're getting into this idea of coaching. So last week, if you were here last week, Mike talked about liberal individualism, this idea of liberal individualism. And, um, and I want to just real quick remind us of that because it, it plays into pretty much this whole series and the, the ideas that we're dealing with. Because what we're learning is that living out the gospel is completely contrary to everything our society is putting out there and everything we're getting taught in our culture. Liberal individualism is a social, um, a, a term for, uh, 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 sociology term, and it basically has three tenets, and those three tenets are, one, commitment to self above everything else. That I have a commitment to my own personal happiness above everything else, above my spouse, above friends, above any organization or group I belong to, above my church, and even above God. And so the fact that even to the point where we have twisted God, that God is here to serve my needs rather than I'm here to serve God. Second aspect of that is relation uh, is messing up my words is um, util (laughs) utilization of relationship. I'm just gonna I'm gonna mess up the words. So utilizing relationships, that relationships are utilized for my own personal gain. So once I no longer gain something from a relationship, I no longer need it. So there again, applies to marriage, right? I'm not happy in my marriage anymore, so I no longer need my marriage. In fact, to the point where we're pretty much a society that has given up on marriage, if we really look at the way society is going, we, we see it as something outdated. Why? 
Well, my role is to be happy. That's my goal in life is to be happy. I know that no one person is going to make me happy my whole life. So therefore, I won't bother getting married. I will just be in a relationship with someone for a few years. When I'm no longer happy, I'll move on to another relationship. I'll move on to another relationship. And that's pretty much the way our society is going. And then the third aspect is extreme individualism. And so hopefully Mike talked last week about how there's, there's dependence that is to the point when it's extreme, it's negative. But also being individual, when it's to the extreme, or independent, when you are independent to the extreme, that's negative as well. When we feel like we don't need anybody, that, that's a negative thing in our life because we don't need to depend on people. And when we have to, and we're hindered by the relationship of people and we're hindered in, in depending on others, we should just shed those relationships. So we talked about healthy interdependence and how we need that. So that's kind of the, the, the culture we're working against. And when we look at that, we see how it's created a very shallow culture that no longer values things like commitment and perseverance and completion. And yet those are things that are primary to living out the gospel. Commitment to others, commitment to God, even when when there's sacrifice involved. That is a primary key concept in our faith. Perseverance, persevering through difficult times and through trials and understanding that pain is, is helpful. That's an important part of the gospel. And obviously completion. You know, that we finish the race to completion. We don't give up. These are key aspects of our faith. And unfortunately, this mindset has crept not just out into the society around us, but it's very much a part of the church now. And we see it a lot. We see people jump from one ministry to the next. Right? Oh, they get excited about ministry. They serve for a while. And then they, oh, well, it's hard. So they, they jump to another ministry. Oh, I'll try this. And then they... They jump to another one, then they jump to another. Small groups or Bible studies. Oh, they're in a Bible study. And, oh, I'm so excited about this study. And as soon as there starts to talk about the commitment, or there's commitment to other people and learning to forgive other people and those kind, well, we find another group. We even do it with church. Oh, I love this church. I'm excited about this church. Well, you know, there's sacrifice and there's things that they're doing that I don't like. Well, we jump churches. See, we we just keep jumping ship, and that's become very much a part of our culture. So there, uh, there's something I w- we want to use as kind of an example of this, and it's called the multiplying square. I want to use the multiplying square to talk about healthy Christianity, healthy relationships, and, and what they should look like. And do not criticize. I'm sure this is going to be a rectangle of some sort, okay? Um, so, um, but looking at what a healthy relationship what the Lord looks like, and healthy relationships with others, and how they help us grow. We're going to use this as an example. This is called the multiplying square. Now, we did not come up with this. This was actually come up by with um, by a guy that I forgot to write his name down in the right spot. His name is... I really apologize about that. Um, I feel like it's important. Mike Breen. Mike Breen's called Building a Discipling Culture. He came up with this model as a way, a very healthy way of showing what, how a healthy relationship, a healthy disciple works. And what he shows is this. We start off in this stage, and we'll just kind of call this D1, 
okay? The D1 stage. And the D1 stage is basically the person who's extremely excited about their faith. They just gave their life to Christ. Um, they're, they're passionate. They're encouraged. They, they, they experience God's grace for the first time. There's a lot of excitement about that and, and re, in the redemption. So there's passion, a lot of passion. But there's also a lot of ignorance in this stage. That's not meant to be derogatory. It's just they don't, they don't grasp really what it means. So most people get to this stage. Now, what I want to use is a new driver as kind of an example for us to think about this. Because I've dealt with new drivers now. I'm on my third new driver that I'm, I'm dealing with. And I've watched them go through these stages. This is kind of like the 15-year-old. They haven't even started driver's training yet. They just have hit that mark. And if you remember that stage of being a kid... You know, up until 15, it just seems so, having your own car just seems so far off, you don't even really think about it. But then when 15 hits, it's like they don't even think about or enjoy being 15. All they think about is, in a year, I will get to drive, right? And they're so excited about that. So there's, do they know anything about driving? No, no. So they're extremely ignorant about what they're, what they're doing. They, they don't know anything about it, but they're very excited, right? They're, they're very passionate about the idea that someday... They're going to get to drive. And, and they start thinking about it and talking about it. And they even start thinking about their car. Um, but then, and, and my daughter Hannah, she's 16. So she just went through this. And I remember when literally she had no idea how to get from one place to the next in, our, in Heber. Like Heber, you know, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not that much bigger than Canvas, you know. Like she literally, and it's a grid. I'm like, it's not that hard. But she had no idea because she, until that point, she paid no attention. She just, I need to be somewhere. Dad has to drive me, right? I, 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 I'll just go. And she didn't pay attention. Now she's paying attention. She's excited. But then they start driver's training. And this is what we'll call the D2 stage. And the D2 stage is when a, when a person starts to grow in their knowledge and their understanding, right? And we, so in our faith, you know, we, we get pat, we round this corner where we're, we're not just passionate, but we're we're losing our ignorance. We're starting to grow in Christ. We're, we're maybe reading God's word on our own. We're maybe reading, doing some other Bible, book reading. Um, we're surrounding ourselves. We maybe join a small group. We're coming to church weekly. We've built some relationships, and we're starting to understand. But as we do that, as we gain involvement, there's also some things that start to scare us. The idea of maybe turning things over to Jesus. Really allowing Jesus to have control of our life. That he's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. And wrapping our mind around that, that what it means for him to be our Lord. Um, the idea of serving in ministry. You know, that, hey, really serving in a ministry means showing up when you don't feel like it. You know, so really serving in a ministry means when you're scheduled to do it, you, you're there. It doesn't matter what your reason or excuse is. You, 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 you put aside things, you... you Cancel trips. You do whatever it takes because you committed to be there, or you make sure you're covered. And and we go, wow, that you know, there's a cost involved with this. And I don't know if I like this cost or being in a small group. We you know we get past the oh we're just getting to know each other and we're having fun and we actually start to get to know the dirt of each other's relationships and we start going, man, I don't even know if I want to hang out with this person. This person's kind of a jerk, you know. But but I got but but really God, we we learned that that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to this faith where we we help each other grow, you know, and so we realize there's a cost involved with that, and it's kind of scary. 
Drivers are like that when they go through driver's training, right? They, they, they start to realize there's a cost involved with, with driving. They, they, they learn. They're no longer ignorant. They actually know what the little letters on the, on the dash mean. Um, I, I remember I told uh, my one daughter, I'm going to tell a story on your radio. I told her to put it in reverse. <laughs> I told her to put it in reverse. And the first time, my fault, because I wasn't, didn't realize they didn't teach her that in the class. And because they wanted her to get behind the wheel before they taught her anything, and I'm paying for the class. I, I said, just put it in reverse and just let your foot off the brake, and you'll start to go. You'll start to go downhill because we she was on a little hill. And so she puts it in drive, the D instead of the R, and she, she puts it in drive, lets your foot off the brake because on a hill nothing happens. So she thinks, well, I must have to just give it a little bit of gas. So gives it a little bit of gas and smashes into my garage. But, uh, <laughs> but you, you know, so we start to learn these things. We start to learn what they're about. And, and not only do we start to learn things, we also start to get scared. We get to behind the wheel a little bit. Right, and the first few times you're behind the wheel, it can be kind of scary, right? There's you, you, you have those couple close calls that, that kind of jatter your nerves a little bit, and you're you're nervous about it. And then they show you those videos of you know about not texting and driving, and not drinking and driving, and not doing everything and driving. There's lots of blood, and they they you know they really try to kind of scare them about all the dangers of driving, and and it gets it gets real. There's a cost involved. Maybe if, if their parents are good about helping them understand money, they're starting to talk to them about how much it's going to cost them monthly to drive and to run a car, and they start to go, man, I don't know if I want to work. So i so I got to drive, but if to drive, I'm going to have to work? That's, that's, I don't know. That's, you know so, so they get, but hopefully they get past that mark, and they end up in number three. And we'll call this D3. D3... For the driver is that time when they just get their license. That first couple months when they just get their license. And, you know, if you've had kids that just get their license, they're so excited. You know, I mean, all of my kids right out front of the DMV, you know, picture of them and their, their license. And then they want a picture of them and their car. And, you know, they're very excited. And we let them drive here and there. You know, we're pretty protective at this stage because we know that they're getting it, but it's not... It's not muscle memory yet. You know, they still haven't really gotten where they just know what to do. And so we, we make our kids kind of stay in our town their first six months or so that they drive. They're not allowed to leave the area. Um, so figure at 35 miles an hour, they're probably not going to get killed, right? So, um, so we, we keep them in here, but they're learning. They're doing on their own. They're no longer relying on us. Same thing goes with us. That's, this is healthy for us. As, as we grow... We should get to a point where we're no longer relying on someone to teach us. We're no longer relying on them to walk us through, on them to call us on our commitment. We are beginning to grow and, and maybe even having others follow us as we do that. We're beginning to, to grow as, as believers. And then finally, the fourth for the driver would be, the driver would be, this is when it is muscle memory. This is when, as a parent, I trust them. I, gotta, I worry about it, but I trust them that, that they're going to be okay, that they know what they're doing, they know how to handle things. Same thing with as believers. Our goal is to get to a point where whoever's mentoring you, your, your shepherds, your, your leaders, your, your, someone who's discipled you, can say, hey, you know what? You go out and disciple someone. You go out and mentor someone. Because you are ready. You have gone through this. 
So, so you see, and then once you get to this point, then this, per then this person helps another person go through that process, and that's why it's called the multiplication square. Now, here's the problem. This isn't the way it's really working in America. This is not what we're seeing happen for the most part. Western Christianity is very rarely developing disciples because what happens is we have a lot of people that get excited. They go to something, they give their life, life to Christ. They're, they're, there's an emotion behind that. We, we achieve, there's that kind of spiritual high most of you have probably experienced at some point in life. Well, then we start to dig in, and as we start to dig in, that spiritual high goes away. The feeling goes away. Remember, if, if it's all about me feeling good, and once I stop feeling good, that comes a problem in our culture. So the feeling starts to go away, and then now someone's talking about counting the cost. And the pastor just did this three-week series on <coughs> sacrificial giving, and, and I'm being called to find out what my spiritual gifts are so I can be a part of the body of Christ and not just be a spectator but be a part. <clears throat> and this is hard. So I don't know if I like this. And so what happens here is instead of turning this corner, oftentimes what happens is we end up over here in what we're going to call the discipleship pit. We, we, we just we disengage. Because we're uncomfortable. We don't like the idea of growing. So we never actually experience what happens when we truly follow Christ. A lot of people, most, very few people end up here the first time. Very few people completely disengage the first time. What most people do is they go back up here. And they say, hey, you know what? I loved that ministry. I love serving there. But you know what? Because they hit a roadblock and because there's frustration or they don't get along with one of the leaders that well or, there's, or their schedule's getting in the way, they start to go, well, you know what? God must not want me to do it if there's a roadblock, right? Because God's all about making me happy. So God's not, if, if there's a roadblock, if there's an issue, then he must not want me to do it. So I'm going to go find a new ministry. And I'm going to get excited about that ministry. And I'm going to get involved in that ministry. And that's going to be, and that's going to be great. But then I'm going to start to realize the sacrifice of really doing that ministry. And then all the, the feelings are going to fade. And then, oh, man, I just found this other ministry. Do you see? And we just keep going on this triangle. And actually, Mike coined this phrase for this as the tragic triangle. And I think it's a great phrase. Because the tragic triangle is what so many of us in Western Christianity are stuck in. This tragic triangle of, I'm excited, I realize there's a cost, I realize that there's sacrifice involved, I don't like that, I'm going to go back, back here. And we see people do it by joining new Bible studies all the time, switching Bible studies, switching ministries all the time, uh, getting all excited about reading up about one type of theology or whatever, and then they switch over to something else. Uh, they go, we go to new conferences. We're, we're constantly looking for this. We want to feel this all the time. And the reality is, is that's not what it means to be a disciple, even to the point where we're doing it with churches. We're, 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 my church is requiring stuff of me that I don't like. I disagree with people. I have a hard time working with people and forgiving people. I've been, I've been frustrated by people, so I'm just going to go find another church. And then eventually, how many times does someone do this before they finally go, you know what? I tried the Jesus name. It doesn't work. 
You see the problem with that? Do you see how dangerous that is? Do you see how, how it keeps us from being who God calls us to be? So when we go searching for that next new high, that next new thing, when we're, we're constantly wanting that romantic period, when whatever it is, a relationship, a, a, a ministry, a church, and that, that it requires zero responsibility, zero expectation on us, eventually we're going to just keep ending up, we're going to end up in the pit and with whatever it is. Because we're unwilling to put the effort and the work in. And that's why we're calling it the tragic triangle. See, here's the key. We are consistently abandoning the path of growth because we have been trained in our culture to believe that trial is an indication of a dead end or a failure. See, God forbid that Jesus actually wants to stretch us and actually wants us to grow and become the people he calls us to be. We abandon opportunity for growth because we believe it's simply not working. See, if it was working, I wouldn't be suffering right now. So, so because I'm suffering right now, I must need to go find something new. How many times has this person reached the perceived dead end before they finally just give up following Jesus altogether? I, I used to see it as a youth pastor all the time. I was in youth ministry for almost 20 years um, before I moved here. And in youth ministry, people were always surprised that so many high schoolers and college students turn away from their faith that they grew up in. And it's not a surprise at all, really, when we look at the way we do Christianity in our culture. Because we're, we're so focused on these feelings, and if anyone's perceptible, susceptible to that, it, it's young people and teenagers, right? Because it's not just... It's just they're constantly bombarded by it, and they're, they're still learning how to deal with their feelings and emotions anyway. So they, we're, we're so focused on, on this that this is our ultimate goal in life. So what they do is they, they never get past this point in their young faith. They never get to the point of actually following Jesus. They, they never get to the point of actually learning to go through pain. And as parents, oftentimes we're guilty because we're constantly trying to protect them from pain and try to fix it for them and that kind of thing and just allowing them to experience what it means to, to sacrifice. So as a result, when they get out on their own, they're like, you know what? That doesn't make me feel this. So I just abandon it all together. As long as we continually interpret trials as a bad thing, we are always going to justify escape and never getting past that corner. We will always stay in this tragic triangle. So I guess that's my main thing that I want to challenge us with is, is where are you pushing yourself to find sacrifice in your life? Where are you pushing yourself to really learn to sacrifice and not make it about you. Because until we begin to do that, we won't ever really begin what it means, to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So, having said that, what, what, do, what does all that have to do with coaches? You're, you guys are like, okay, thank you, Shane, for the sociology lesson. Now, what does this have to do with the Bible? Okay? I believe that for most of us in our life, we need a coach to get around that corner. In almost every area of our life. Without a coach... We don't push ourselves around that corner. Um, like I said, 
to achieve almost anything great physically, most people have had to have a coach. A good coach pushes them to do what they cannot do on our own. Coaches teach us to embrace trials, to embrace pain as part of the victory process. So, what is what does a coach do? How do how do we how do we do that? So let's let's go ahead and look look at that with keeping this in mind. Now, like I said, we're using coach instead of shepherd simply because it's a term that someone that doesn't know what we're talking about can can grasp. Okay, but we're using the the passages that talk about a shepherd to to really deal with this. So, if you want to open your Bibles, you can to John ten one through eleven. John 10, 1 through 11, it says this. Um, This is Jesus talking. And um, he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to be extremely happy and satisfied in all things. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. That's how we interpret that verse, though. In our culture, that's how we we interpret that. Here's what it says. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the first thing that a, a shepherd or a coach does is they protect. They are protectors. But a protector doesn't always actually keep us from harm and from trial. See, a protector understands that sometimes it's the trial that helps us get through in the end. My son is complaining about his experience in the military, not because he doesn't like the hard parts of it. He's complaining because we have gotten so politically correct in our culture that he feels like they're no longer able to prepare these young guys for what they're going to be going into because they're not allowed to say certain words to them. They're not allowed to... to yell at them at a certain degrading level. They're not, allowed, they're not allowed to do things anymore that, you know, that he says that's part of the process of, of getting me to realize it's not about me. Life isn't about me. It's about this group, and i got to get off my high horse and learn to work as a group, and I have to be prepared for extreme situations. And, and he said we're, they're, they're trying to protect feelings, but they're actually what they're doing is they're, they're going to get people killed. Because they're, they're not willing to let them go through the trials and the pain that they need to go through to be prepared to be the men and women that they need to be. So, so oftentimes a protector, we, when you think of protector, it's oh, always stop. But a protector doesn't do that. You know, a protector sometimes disciplines and causes pain. You know, it's not a popular thing to say, but I 
discipline my children. You can interpret what that means. Um, and I discipline them because I know my discipline isn't as bad as getting killed by a car when they run out of the street. I, I know that I'd rather have them fear that than not understand. They don't understand the fear of a car at four years old. So that's my job. Because they understand the fear of me. That's something they grasp. And so my discipline helps them. A shepherd protected by standing at the gate and protecting and not letting people in or out. But a shepherd also had a, a rod. And that rod was not just a walking stick. That rod was used to smack the sheep sometimes. And to guide them and keep them away from trouble. So we need people to protect us in this life. And that's what a good coach does and a good coach helps us experience life to the full. See, when we, we interpret that verse to mean, oh, that, that God just always wants me to have this great life, that is not what that verse means. It is saying that He is He's come to you have life to the full, meaning you experience the full joy and you experience the full pain. You experience the full the the, the full excitement of life and the passion of life, and you experience the full fullness of understanding what it means to be empty and lost at times. But we can experience because we know we have a protector. We know we have someone with us at all times. Second thing a shepherd does or a coach does is they mentor. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Notice he doesn't say do every single thing I do. But he's saying, look, I'm following Christ. Follow me. We need to have people in our life that we are willing to follow. Do you have someone in your life that you're like, yeah, I know, yeah, I know they're not perfect. But I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to be more like them because I know they're seeking to be more like Christ. We need to have that in our life. And I would challenge you to look for that. We have 20 places where Jesus said, follow me. Calling the people, saying, follow me. One of the prayers of a disciple, of the prayers of a disciple was, Lord, may the dust of my rabbi's sandals fall upon me. And what they meant by that is, May I walk so close to them that when they walk and stir up dust, may it land on me. That's how close they want to be to their teacher. Are we seeking to be like Christ that way? And are we, are we seeking others that we can emulate because we see Christ in them? Or are we saying, I got this thing on my own. I'm independent. I don't need other people to help me grow. Are you imitating Christ? Are you imitating others as to imitate Christ? doesn't mean that they're not perfect. I mean, that they're, that they're perfect. It means that you see God in them and God working in them. I think one of the great things that the people I've followed in life are the people that have the strength to admit, hey, I, I falter in this area. But when it's exposed to them, they, they say, hey, help me work on it. That's someone who I want to follow. When they have that humility to say, I see it and I want to work on it. The third thing we need is someone to equip us. We need people equipping us in our faith. And as pastors, that's one of of our jobs is to equip people. Um, Jesus worked to equip his disciples. You know, he he called them. You know, he kind of, this model could be kind of the whole, if you've been in leadership seminars at all, it's, it's the I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I watch, or you do, I help, and then you do, I watch. You know, it's kind of, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, he, he called them, he trained them, he sent them out while he was still there, and then when he said, okay, you're ready, you're ready. We need people to equip us. Ephesians 2.12 says, to equ- the, the leaders of the church are to equip 
people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, it doesn't say the leaders of the church are to do everything in the church so people can come and be a part of it. No, it doesn't say that. It says that their job is to equip the people to serve. Are you willing to be equipped? You know, a good coach equips their players. You know, if I was a football coach, I could we could have practice all day long, and I could show you and get you ingrained where you could just know every play. Where all we did was sit in here, and I go over every play, and then I just send you off to do weights and physical conditioning, and that's all we do at practice. Would you be ready for a game? No. No, you need to learn how to catch a ball, how to hit, how to tackle, how to evade a tackle, right? You need to learn, you need to be equipped with it, right? You need to also have the equipment, right? You imagine going out there with no pads or helmets, you know? So, so you need to be equipped. Are, are you allowing yourself to be equipped? And do you have someone in your life who's seeking to equip? And I'll tell you, if you're someone who, you, maybe you oversee a ministry, or maybe you have someone who is new in the faith. That is kind of you know they're kind of looking to you. They need to be equipped. They, you you can't do it all for them. You've got to show them and allow them to do it. Allow them to fail. Allow them to make mistakes and walk through that with them. We used to have, up until really this century, this last century, um, the twentieth century, we had apprenticeships. Almost every culture, every every. Uh, country had apprenticeships. And in an apprenticeship, you, you learn under someone. They teach you the good and the bad and the ugly of, of something. And they, they let you mess with it and fail, and then they help you through it, and they teach you the trade. It, it taught us to learn to submit to people. We don't learn to submit to people very well in this culture. You know, when someone is trying to equip us, a lot of times we say, oh, well, now, you know, I liked it when you were just doing it and I could say I was a part of it, but I didn't have to really do anything. That was great, but now you're making me do something, right? So we want to back out. We, we, we need to be equippers. Next, we need to be visionaries. We need visionaries in our life. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That was a visionary statement for Paul to the Philippians. They were going through a difficult time, and he's encouraging them. Look, I know this is tough, but I'm confident that God is going to finish this in you. God is going to make this work if you just will follow him. You know, I've had people in my life who have been visionaries for me. In the 450 times I've tried to quit from ministry, um, you know, I've had people say, Shane, no, look, man, look at the fruit. Look at what's happening. Don't, don't give up. Uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've been able to see through it when I'm too much in the middle of it. You know, my coach, my, I remember my wrestling coach was a, a visionary in my life in a couple ways. One, in day-to-day matches, he could, see, he could see perspective that I couldn't see. I was in the mix of it, and he could see it. And I remember sometimes just hearing him say, Hook the leg, hook the leg, and, and I knew his voice, and I would listen. And I would, and sure enough, the leg was right where it was supposed to be, and I didn't have to even see it. I could do it. it he had the vision for me. But even more importantly, I remember a time I, uh, in my wrestling life, I was um, I was rated third in the state in my in my division and weight class, and um, and I was you know pretty excited about how good I was doing, and and. Uh, but because of my grade, I blew my chance to wrestle in state. I, I, I blew the whole thing. And wrestling season ended right about there. And, and I remember I was so down on myself. And I remember my coach was 
really mad. Um, but the weekend when we got back from state after that, there was what a, a kind of exhibition match. Didn't count for anything. It was kind of a just a fun match, and then the the big celebration for the team. And I wasn't going to go to any of it. You know, I, was, I just had given up on myself and was very frustrated. And I remember like coach came alongside me and said, Shane, you need to be at the match, and you need to be at the party. And I and I and it would have been easy for him to go, yeah, you blew it. But he didn't. He had vision for more of my life because he saw that it wasn't just wrestling; it was a part of who I was. And and he said, he said, yeah, you blew it. You 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 blew it, and you missed out on an experience you you're going to regret the rest of your life probably, at least when you look back on high school. He said, but you were a part of this team, and you should celebrate that. And this team celebrates what you brought to the team. And and I remember when I got out, you know, at the party, even though I didn't get to get a letter at the, for that year. You know, he still pulled me up, and he, you know, he just real quickly touched on why I wasn't able to get a letter, but he, he spent a couple minutes talking about what I did bring to the team and what I could be proud of. And, and so he was a visionary in my life, and we need people like that in our faith. You ever get so down on yourself, you just need someone to come alongside you and give you some strength, to give you some courage and wisdom and, and let you know that God still is working and that God still has a plan? We need visionaries. And, we need, and you need to be a visionary in other people's lives as well. And finally, we need people to challenge us. We need people to give us a challenge. You know, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples a challenge. We always read the Great Commission. You know, it kind of, you know, it's all basically just usually kind of read off. But I was thinking about it like from a coach's perspective. You know, Jesus says this, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, I read that this week. I was thinking about it from a coach's perspective. It really sounds like a, like a halftime talk. It really does. You know, to, to say, hey, look. I have taught you everything you need, and I'm with you, right? To say, look, go out into this world. Don't just sit here. Don't just do what you're you're used to doing. Go out into the world. Make disciples. Get other people on board. Don't just stay in your area. Go all over the world and do this. Baptize them and teach them, and remember that I'm always going to be with you. See, he, he was challenging them. To rise up to something far greater than themselves. Far greater than what they ever would have thought they could accomplish. He did the same thing with Peter in John 21. Right after the cross and Jesus appeared to the um, disciples after he rose. And they were, he was on the bank and they, they ate fish together. And all the other disciples kind of got up and moved on. And, and Peter and him were left. And, and three times he asked Peter, do you love me? When Peter replied, yes, I do, he said, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Right? To say, almost as a way to say, hey, Peter, I know you denied me three times. But let's get over that. It's time to get up. It's time to move forward. And he challenged them. Have you ever been challenged to do something you didn't think you could do? To go further than you thought you could go? Do you challenge others to do that in their faith? See, we can't accomplish any of this 
on our own. I really don't think we're, we were meant to. I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that we're meant to do it in connection with one another in the body of Christ. And we need shepherds in our life. We need coaches. We need people that were willing to say, you know what, I know they have faults. I know they make mistakes, but I trust them. I trust that they have my best interest at heart. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna listen to them. I'm gonna put myself under them. I'm gonna submit to them. I'm gonna I'm gonna accept their guidance. Are you at a place where you're willing to do that? In this race, there's gonna be a lot of people that cut us off. There's gonna be all sorts of roadblocks, things that seek to deter us as we as we continue to grow. But if we run the race all the way to the finish, we will experience blessings beyond what we can understand. But to do that, we got to get around this corner. And to get around this corner, we can't be trying to run it alone. We need coaches in our life to come alongside us and say, let me walk with you through this pain. Let me help you through this cloud. Let me get you through this fog so that we can experience together what it means to continue on in Christ. My prayer for you is to find a coach. And my question for you is this. Do you have someone in your life that you would say, even with all their faults, I see them as seeking to imitate Christ. And I'm going to put myself under them so that I can continue to grow and get past whatever these corners are. And then second, do I have anyone that I'm helping get past these corners? If you've known the Lord for a year or more, there should be somebody that you're helping get around this corner. There should be someone that you're investing in, that you're walking with through that. Because if not, we stay stuck here. And that's a tragedy. Let's pray.